What's up, everyone? This is your boy, Jerkback, and today we have an awesome episode. We have these very special guest, Megan McQuarrie. Um, I might have screwed that up. I'm sorry. I tend did to do that. Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we always have the most amazing, beautiful Sonia Watkins to my right or your left. Other way. <laughs> That's Other okay. Way. I'm, I paused again. Sorry. Thanks. No, sure. you're fine. Um, and so today we have Megan. She is an author of a book that's called Skills to Manage Triggers, Moving Beyond Traumatic Memories and Taking Back Your Life, which is set to be released in late 2022. So we'll make sure to look out for that. Um, and we'll just jump right into it. So why don't you tell, tell us a little about yourself, Megan? Hi, guys. Um, I'm really grateful to be here today, too. I appreciate you guys inviting me to be on your show. Um, so I'm a clinician. Um, uh, LCSW for anyone that's listening that's familiar with um, counselors. I have my own private practice right now. And then I also do a lot of speaking and training um, with other clinicians throughout the United States and um, even internationally lately, uh, training them in specific modalities related to trauma and addiction. Oh, nice. So do you, do you work... Um specifically do you guys have people that work a lot with like rehabs and stuff like that or is it like last like like last not last chance but like you know like they, they have no other options and they, they try to seek out different medical stuff or yeah so let me tell you um a little bit about what I was doing prior to where I'm at today so I started an intensive outpatient program um, for substance abuse specifically in 2015 um, that I ended up selling about a year and a half ago because I started to just get kind of inundated with speaking requests and training requests. And, um, and so with that, we had a contract with like felony and federal probation. And so I ran a lot of the groups, um, did individual counseling, um, we did a lot of like case management, like linking them to other resources and supportive like sobrieties um, activities and stuff that they could get involved in. And then um, after I sold that, now I just have like private practice. So the people that I see in addiction now are more like people that have already done some type of intensive outpatient program or that have like completed an intensive like inpatient stay um, and they're kind of more in like a stable place of recovery a little bit. They're just looking for like ongoing kind of support. I do occasionally work with some people that are still kind of like in the early stages of recovery um, that we're trying to get like more services or resources or might need more treatment. Okay. And the, uh, the main practice you do is EMDR, correct? Yeah. Yep. And um, so as reading the definition, it kind of, it looked all Chinese to me. Um, why don't you give us a, uh, a definition of, of what EMDR really is? So EMDR is like a weird thing. So I think this is why we use the acronym EMDR because it's about eye movements. If you look at the definition, you're probably like jerk and like, what is this? It's weird. <laughs> and that's totally what I thought in the beginning of learning about it as well. I'm like, none of my clients are gonna come in and wanna do eye movements. Like this is, you know, this is like- <laughs> yeah, like weird science thing. And, um, you know, I actually, so EMDR is a treatment modality um, that's used to work with people that have struggled with PTSD. I use it a lot actually for addiction stuff as well um, because there's a lot of good like evidence and research for it, but it is one of the most researched and evidence-based treatments for trauma that there is worldwide. And it's backed by like the VA and, um, veterans the department of veterans affairs and the world health organization and it's truly amazing i've seen it do tremendous things for people oh nice so um what working as a or i guess in your prior field what what made you kind of want to move into to the new field of emdr so i actually um so um, my ex-husband was in recovery um, and so recovery was a huge part of our lives um, and we had done a lot of, he was one of like a district liaison for AA at the time and so we had done a lot of like, we were heavily involved in um, AA community and NA stuff as well 
And we actually went to um, Memphis. We were doing a training together to get trained to do interventions. And um, every day before our intervention training, they did like a combined like AA and A meeting. And so everyone that was there were like people that were in recovery. And there was um, about a handful of guys. I was the only clinician there. Um, but there were a handful of the guys in this training that um, had been in sobriety and they all told me, they asked if I was certified in EMDR and I was like, no, because I still thought it was weird at the time. And they told me how it literally saved their lives and propelled them forward to their recovery. And they were just so passionate about it that it gave me like a new lens to see through it. And then I ended up like researching more and then getting trained in it. And yeah. And here I am now. So <laughs> how many years ago was that? Um, this was in, it was in 2015 as well. So oh, it's take, yeah, that's awesome. Seven years. Yeah. Yeah. So as I was doing research for EMDR, um, I'd seen a bunch of, of really amazing testimonies from PTSD patients that were, um, you know, praising and stuff like that. But I also saw the kind of um, the researcher side where they're saying is very controversial and stuff like that. And uh, I didn't really understand because I didn't, I don't, it's all kind of still new to me. So understanding the, contra- the controversy about it is kind of above my pay grade, I guess. Um, so I, that's, that's one other, another question I would ask of, of why EMDR is controversial among researchers and kind of gets your perspective on it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of controversy around it because it's outside of the norm of talk therapy. And I think that um, people in like the researcher field or anyone that presents anything that kind of challenges the way that we should do things, um, it catches a lot of heat. And it EMDR has always caught a lot of heat because it is so different. And a lot of people have said, oh yeah, it can be dangerous because you're working with like trauma memories. That's not an experience I've had. I think it's like anything, like if you don't know what you're doing and you suck as a clinician, then it's probably not effective. But if you're like sticking to the model, then it is. And so I think the controversy just kind of like rises, I guess, from it being different than our traditional therapy that we're used to. Right. I think that's true, especially nowadays, even with just um, medicine, general medicine in, in general, because... I have uh, quite a few health issues of my own. And I, <laughs> one day I just put out a bunch of medicine and realized I'm taking way too much medicine. So I'm going to do something about it. So I started researching all kinds of different Eastern medicine and different things that I could do. And you can't get very many medical doctors to really accept some of those things. And they don't want to talk to you about it. So, you know, it's crazy. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I actually just seen a documentary not too long ago where there's like this, it's, it's very taboo to talk about it with Western doctors, and they actually have multiple cases where um, physicians in the United States have been fired and, uh, you know, gotten their license taken away just for simply trying to tell patients like about Eastern medicine and homeopathy remedies and stuff like that, because it's, it's not, it's not in their, their guidelines and and, you know, it's not selling medications and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like big pharma is, is you know, it's got the, the good, big, the good which, news is in my, my, I have two sons that are doctors and my oldest son, especially would, he's not my oldest son. I keep saying that I have an interesting thing. Anyway, Justin, my son, that's a doctor said that he, you know, a couple of years ago when I started changing medicines, he was so like, he called everything I did witchcraft and just he's to me, you know, like ruthlessly. And, um, he's been in the medical field now for a long time, over 10 years. And for him, and just the other day I was talking to him about all this and he was the one that said, you need to go to integrate a doctor. And I'm like, well, what is that? And he explained to me what it was. And it's, and I think the good news is that the medical field has started to recognize slowly that, they have to do it because people are, are rebelling like, like me, like, I, I don't really care what a doctor tells me anymore. I try to do what they ask me to do. If it's within reason of what's good for me. And I don't mind stopping what they do too. 
And so there, I know here in Arizona, the, one of the largest medical groups is Banner, um, Banner Medical, and they, um, no, it's the other one, Honor Health. Honor Health has just opened a new integrated um, department of their hospital, their whole medical system. And they, I, I've received a bazillion phone calls last week, like the yoga instructor, the dietitian, the um, herb person, and all these things that came from my medical doctor. So I know that they're trying to do it, but it's been taking a long time. And so maybe this EMDR is just easing its way in. But I've, I was telling Jerk that I have met so many people through my new author you know, um, life. I don't, I hate to call myself an author until that's done, but, um, so many people that have used this EMDR in their life. And I haven't yet to find somebody that said it was not useful. So I'm pretty impressed with that because they're pretty good people. Yeah. Well, and jerk, one thing you might relate to, um, just from your own personal background or whatever. And one of the reasons that I ended up liking it so much was, when I initially started um, our intensive outpatient, like our substance abuse program, I did it because I saw the limited resources and what I personally feel is like maltreatment by the way that we treat and shame addicts and anyone that struggles with substance abuse and even felons, like a lot of the felons that I've worked with, like they're like my guys. I love them. And I would rather hang out with them any day than like a group of soccer moms because they get what life's about. But one of the things that I started to see when we were opening this that I wanted to be different about is most of the treatment centers at the time, it was all about treating the symptoms of the addiction, right? It's like, oh, we'll treat the symptoms. Well, I, when I started doing these groups, I was like, man, I've had guys that have been to prison like four or five times in here, and they could probably teach most of these skills courses better than I could. That's not what they need, right? And to me, it was about like the addiction wasn't the issue. I mean, it's causing issues in their life, but it's a symptom. It's a coping skill of what they've been forced and had to use because of whatever other shitty things have happened to them. And sure. so I was like more passionate about like, they're not just an addict to me. I didn't want anyone. And I still don't anyone that sees me like they're a human and they get to be treated that way, regardless of their felony status or their legal status or what their drugs they're pushing or using. And like, when they come in, we're going to talk about real things. We're not just going to be like, oh, let's create like a sobriety plan. Like they've done that 5,000 times. Like they have bigger wounds that need to be healed. And so that's where like EMDR kind of got me excited because I wanted to treat the things that would actually make a lasting difference, not just give them like this little green slip that they could go and get checked off at like AA and NA meetings, you know, where they're not even really like, no one's really seeing them for what they've been through. Right. That's awesome. That's super interesting too, especially with just how, how much judgment those people really get and I mean I see that on a daily basis but I've just been so used to it and I'm so numb to it that it, it doesn't really matter and, and honestly like um, even going into into a, some something simple as a hospital looking the way I look I usually I'm the, the, the first thing they're asking me is okay what kind of drugs are you on are you overdosing yep. <laughs> and I'm like yo I mean I've, I've been sober for years like I don't know why I'm here because my hand's broken like what are you asking me about if I'm shooting something up like so I just started going to, um, I actually just, I started going to the hospitals in the nicer areas because they, it just, it always just seemed like better treatments. And my sister, she's actually one of the head, head um, RNs in the cardiology department at Mayo Clinic in, in Northern Phoenix. And um, yeah, and it's just like the, 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 the way people are treated are, is just, it's just crazy. Yeah. I actually had an experience with that. I had a client and I should throw this out there too. Um, Cause I get kind of a bad rap for this, but I'm not like the typical counselor. I don't think that like typical counseling necessarily um, is always the best. So if someone's on my caseload, like I'm a huge advocate for them, not just for the 60 minutes that I see them a week. Um, right. so I had a woman that was a really severe alcoholic and um 
our hospital here is pretty lousy with addicts, like undereducated, misinformed. Um, anytime they go in, we don't have detox here. So the closest detox is three hours away. And anytime they go into the hospital here, they just get treated like, you know, the bottom of the barrel. And so I went um, with her to the ER because um, we were trying to get her into inpatient. And, and so I needed them to take this seriously. And, you know, she's having withdrawals from drinking like a gallon plus of straight vodka a day. And she's like writhing and she's having all that, you know, anxiety and just like she can't control it. Like her body is genuinely going through withdrawals. And the doctor walks in and he says, why is she so anxious? Like she needs to chill out. He says this to me as her therapist. I'm like, she physically like cannot relax or chill out. Like her body is like seizing and, and it was, they were so um, just rude and inhumane to her. And I've seen this happen time and time again. And so a lot of the people that I've worked with here, like it's like last resort to go into like the hospital or somewhere like that because of how they get treated which right. is heart-wrenching well it's actually kind of a, it's 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 amazing to hear you say stuff like that too because um a lot of times people in these fields of counseling and, and, and drug interventions and stuff like that it's it it seems like they're in it more for i don't want to say a selfish reason but you get a lot of people that have the same backstory, like, oh, my, you know, my son overdosed or my, my husband and, you know, so on and so forth, but they do it for, to make themselves feel better instead of actually trying to help people and stuff like that. And you can see that a lot. And then a lot of times, you know, you'll get people that do do what you do and advocate more than just the 60 minutes that you're sitting in a chair and actually go above and beyond and trying to help people and stuff like that. And, and those are the people that I, I think that, need to really be pushed to the forefront because there's a lot of I mean I guess in, in the medical field altogether you know a lot of people are just there for a paycheck mm -hmm. and, uh, and and it kind of it kind of shows through in the amount of the amount of just reading through your bio just the amount of things that you've done um, the amount of just work that you've put in the hard work that you've put in throughout the years and stuff like that even in this new field um, and, I, and I think that's absolutely amazing it is thank, you. Awesome. thank you for that yeah, you know, and I think that uh, with that being said, like for those of us that aren't in it for the right reasons, especially, I mean, addiction work, it's hard work, you know, um, it's, it's really challenging, especially from like a therapist point of view, you know, maybe not as intense as like with a family member, but, you know, you, we measure a lot of our success based on how clients do. And so I think it can be wearing because that, you know, relapse occurs and there's things that happen, but um, you know, people know when you're not in it for genuine reasons and there is no healing that's going to occur when you come in and you've got like some ulterior motive, especially in that population. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they see through the bullshit real fast. Well, that's how I was. I was just sitting here reminiscing about the amount of clinicians that saw Ronnie and wasn't as much as you would have expected for as long as he suffered with it. Cause he was very private about it, very ashamed of it, very private about it. But I, after he passed away, I got to go through some of his stuff and there was one person and all of that time that I didn't even know he'd been seeing that he must have thought really highly of her and that was when he got the cleanest and I contacted her and she was just like you just kind of like she was very shocked that he passed away and because I didn't contact her till a year later and she didn't know that he had passed away but it it is it, looking back on it Ronnie had a sense for that kind of stuff because he would go in really wanting the help and I helped him a few times find people and he'd come out and he just looked at me, that person's fucked mom or that person's, I don't want to talk to him. And it was more often than not. And interestingly enough, I was just like, what is wrong with you? These people are here to help you. But I'm probably right more often than not. Exactly. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah. Because Ronnie did, I mean, he wasn't jerking, you know, he wasn't the atypical drugged out person all the time he was very good at hiding it and when he when he had problems he'd disappear you know wouldn't share it with us and stuff like that so 
he, but he did have a sense for people. He was really good at that. And I, I, I couldn't find any, but the guy that, or the woman that he finally, this woman, I was assigned to him from a court thing. And it was his last um, probation that he was on. And he finished her whole program. And I don't think he'd ever finished any program before. And it was because he would just walk away if it was a waste of his time. He just, and 90% of the time it was. And he had been in these kind of systems since he was 14 years old. And so, yeah, you have a really good point there that it's a waste of their time because they know that's not what they need. And, but they also don't know what they need. Exactly. And I don't, I don't know that it, there's been much out there that has helped. And so when I read your stuff, I'm like, and, and other things that are out there that are working and things that people are trying, I, I just think, I wish, you know, I wish this was three years ago. Yeah. And I, I'm sure that those, you know, the, the amount of shit that those people see is, is really like trying for them, you know, and the closest yeah. thing I can play to is almost like teachers, you know, like mm-hmm. at first you, you want to, you know, you have this, yeah. you know, this yeah. bright thing about you, you know, that, that you're in this profession and you want to help and this and that. And over the years and years and years of people just relapsing and nothing ever working, like I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, like that, that just wears and tears. And it's just it's cynicism. You build cynicism too. I had a uh, friend that was a detective and towards the end of his profession in the beginning he was in it for the right reasons in the end uh um he's a bad cop he is very cynical about what he did and what because he what he saw every single day and i did step back and i got it you know i felt bad for him but we you know everybody's got their issues i'm not judging but it's just a really um a world where and and a you know, I've been around addiction my whole life and it has it, you know, I'm 61 years old and I'm just now seeing things that are promising and my family's been inundated. I'm a crier. So I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) It's been a rough week because this has been brought up again. And Cherie was the girl's name, my cousin, and she's the last of a long line of people in my family that have really suffered from it and i'm hoping that our future generations and my children don't have to go through this because it's horrible it's really horrible because they're good people you know and they do get judged part of what ronnie's you know in the end i don't want to talk about ronnie but um in the end that judgment is you know, he was responsible for what he did, but it was his panicked nature and what he had to look forward to because of people not wanting to give him jobs and that kind of thing. So it's terrible. Mm-hmm. So I commend you. I commend anybody that's doing anything that works. And it may not work on every person, but um, the ones that I've seen that have done it have really, really spoke highly of it. So I appreciate it. So I kind of wanted to ask what, um, as, as far as the intake process, when you deal with a person with PTSD versus a person with a, uh, with a drug addiction issues, is there, is your overall plan for getting them better? Is it, does it, def- does it differ between different people or is it like, is it basically the same plan of attack and, and just trying to figure out where this pain is coming from and, and where the issues lie and kind of and go from there. So I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel this. I'll tell you where I'm at and you can tell me if you agree with this or not, Jerk. Um, so I'm a real strong believer that anyone that struggles with addiction has had trauma in their life. That trauma either underlies or comes into play um, within the addiction itself. I mean, usually it's both sometimes, right? It was there before. And then there's trauma that's there during, obviously from like what takes place when addiction takes over. And so to me, I always think that trauma is one of the hallmark symptoms of addiction. Um, And so to me, I I think it's more not about what I, I'm always person-centered. So it differs for me with every single client. So what are they wanting to get out of? this? Are they even wanting to address the trauma? 
um, are they wanting to just work with the addiction? And so, I mean, and I think even second to that, like anyone to me that has true like PTSD, they typically have some type of compulsive um, or addictive behavior. It doesn't necessarily mean like substances, but it might be like shopping or like TV or eating or whatever it is. So to me, I always feel like you have to treat those kind of together, but I know different people feel different about those topics. Well, I think, um, you know, whether, even if I were to disagree, I think just statistics alone, proving that, you know, most drug addiction stems from trauma and stuff like that. And, um, yeah. you know, and, and those are, I think that's always going to be one of the most underlying issues with drug addiction because it's like you're trying to numb something and, and coming from I mean I've been a drug addict before and I guess I, I I guess I say I am a drug addict even though I'm I'm clean and stuff like that but um that issue is always there in the back of my head I know that I have that personal you know that that addictive personality so I just need to try to I always try to refocus that that part of my personality to doing something more constructive with my life and stuff like that. But um, just in general, yeah, I think trauma is always going to be one of the most underlying issues for a lot of problems that we have in this country. Mm -hmm. I and, and then opioid and just drug addiction in general is, it's the biggest pandemic that we have going on in this country. It is. Do you have numbers, statistics on, the, on that, on, on a national level where we are at with that? I was going to look it up. Yeah. I mean, I, statistics are one thing, but if I can throw a rock outside my window and hit someone that, that's messed up on drugs, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's an issue. Yeah. Is, you know? yeah. I know that overdoses have been, I mean, they've like, it's been stagnantly increasing since, you know, the pandemic. I think all of it continues to get worse. We're still at like the highest, I think, like opioid abuse rate that our nation's ever faced. So, I think it's gotten worse and worse, especially with things like fentanyl and some of the other things that have really come forward in the last little bit too. I know in Ron and John um, Jerk's group of friends and stuff. I don't know how many you've lost in the last couple of years to to overdose, but it seems like I've seen two or three just since Ronnie passed away that within your group of friends. And so it's it is it's terrible. You know, my whole life. I rarely knew anybody that died and, and especially young people like that. So it's, it's sad. And to be completely honest, I just got tired of posting friends that have passed away from drug overdose. You know, I just, so I just, I stopped posting it because it was yeah. just it was too much, you know? Um, so another question I had, Megan, is how do people in your, your line of work feel about things like medical marijuana for treating PTSD or, or, or not necessarily PTSD, but for treating drug addictions and stuff like that. Because I mean, there's statistics out there showing that medical marijuana has actually lowered the rate of opioid addictions and, or overdoses in general, because now they're able to get medical marijuana and it helps them and, and you know, it helps them come off. And I know I've been in, I, I've talked to, to Sonia about this multiple times where, you know, out of surgery, they're wanting to prescribe me pills and pills and pills, and I don't want to do it. You know what I mean? I don't want to go through that whole, that crazy cycle again of, of I know my pain's intense, but, you know, what else can I do? So I would just turn to marijuana, and, and it, it, it saved my life. Yeah. It saved mine, too. I can't sleep at night since Ronnie passed away. I've had really bad problems with it, and they wanted to just give me pills, and I'm just like... Mm -hmm. I don't need pills. I just need to sleep. <laughs> and it has been, I was telling jerk before the show started that it has changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. And, um, the other thing I've talked to a physician that I'm dealing with, um, is, and I was going to ask you about this is cause I'm kind of researching it and I'm not even close to being done researching it. So I'm still in the infant stages of it, but, um, mushrooms in, in relation to PTSD too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was actually one of no Oh yeah, well, yeah. you should go to that one after this one. So, you know, um, I kind of, I think I stand in the middle with marijuana. Um, 
there's a, like, so I think for pain, I've just seen and read research where it's done amazing things for pain. Um, I had a guy a couple of years ago that he was in his sixties and suffered from really bad, like type two diabetes and some stuff with arthritis. And he never, I guess, depending on who you ask, in my opinion, he wasn't abusing it, but it like significantly helped his pain and he had less side effects than what he would have normally experienced from like painkillers and other things. And then um, my admin assistant, she went through stage three cancer and um, real and had to do real aggressive treatment. And she swears by marijuana, like helping her be able to get through chemo and radiation and some of the things that she did. So I think that there's some good benefits for it. I think it depends on the person and their history of like use what their like what their substances of choice are. Um, one thing I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago and um, they had a doctor on there and he was talking about how um, they've been having adolescents come to the ER more frequently for side effects like of psychosis with marijuana. And um, he was talking about the potency of um, is it that, is it the actual THC? I think the potency of what they're making in the, um, like these chemical strands of marijuana, they're right. starting to see that there's some, there can be some effects with that. And we're not still quite sure what all those are, but, um, so I guess I'd say like, that's one thing that I worry about with adolescents, just because they're not as developed yet, but I still think like, different things work for different people and that's one that i i'm just kind of in, i'm in a gray area i guess right well they have um they have multiple studies going on too where uh so definitely the potency of the thc affects people differently but people that are under SSF, ssri medications and have mental mental health issues and stuff like that it affects them totally different yeah uh, and, and it's pretty crazy and, it, and but also with, with the medical marijuana thing too, my wife, Michelle, she's actually a two-time cancer survivor. The first time she had ovarian cancer, the second time she had adrenal carcinoma. And, oh my gosh. Uh, and it, it's, that was the saving grace, mm -hmm. you know, on, on a daily, day-to-day -day basis thing that were, that, you know, cause she didn't want to eat, you know, so the, the chemo yeah. was, you know, it's, it's just horrible the way it's, the way it, the things that it does to people while you're on chemo and, and marijuana definitely helped us get through the day-to-day -day life with that stuff like that. And just the, the studies with the Rick Simpson oil that's going on, mm -hmm. um, massive, massive, massive doses of this Rick Simpson oil is actually making these cancers stop growing and, yeah. and it's reducing them to the point where they're, it's, it's operable or they can get to, you know, a, a, you know, quality of life and, and stuff like that. Yeah, my assistant, she swears that it's what allowed her to have a quality of life while she was going through like her hardcore chemo and radiation treatment. And I've never seen like she never abused it or did any, you know, it was when it's used the way that it's intended to. I think that there's great benefits from that. Now on to the the mushrooms question. Yeah, I like this one. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is something that um, that I've done heavily research on and I've actually, so my wife swears to me that um, she thinks that I have PTSD from, you know, years of gangbanging, getting shot at and stuff like that. Oh my you know? gosh, Kirk, are you in denial about your PTSD? Well, that that's a part of being Irish, you know, like we're always- <laughs> He's like, damn it, I hate that you're on this podcast because you just talked about how everyone with addiction has trauma. And I can't let my wife listen to this episode. She just proved it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I was staying silent because I didn't want to like out him at all. I was just waiting for him to say something. He's being so polite too. You should have been like, nah, not everyone has trauma. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so, so truthfully, um, I, I did deny, you know, I mean, because in the lifestyle that we lived and being around gang members and graffiti, like, we don't have time to, to sit there and talk about 
you know, the issues that we're having in our head. Like I gotta, I gotta worry about walking to the next block or, or what's going to happen tonight or, you know, one of my friends getting shot. So now we got to, you know, go find this person, do this, do that, you know, whatever. If you've been to prison, that's a sign of weakness. And my son had to push that weakness out of him and he never, he wouldn't talk about it. So. Oh yeah. In the streets and prison and jail, like, you know, yeah. And, uh, that's the first thing that a lot of these people tend to prey on. So, you know, coming to terms with it, you know, I, I, have done research and stuff like that, but I don't, I'm not really a big doctor person, not just, you know, not to say that it's, there's nothing wrong with that, but I just, if I can't figure out in my own head and I think it's just coming from the background that I come with, like then, you know, then I might consider, but if, and um, with PTSD, like I've noticed that, you know, so I've, done a lot of experimenting with psychedelic drugs and stuff like that and i've noticed that there is like this this bright light that comes you know like clarity in your head and stuff like that and 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 what's going on with the you know your issues and stuff like that because there's been times where if i if i hear a a car door slam too loud like i jump and i I, you know i start looking for the next exit and and stuff like that and uh, but i've noticed that you know just doing microdosing mushrooms on a you know, on a weekly basis is is has cleared that up like amazingly and um yeah. so i and now that it's at a point in our our medical realm where they're actually starting to accept this and see that the medical possibilities are really there um you know i think i think it's amazing and, and it's definitely something that you know everyone should be exploring mm-hmm you know, um, it's actually been legalized in other countries, especially Europe, for quite a while. Um, one of the ones that I'm actually excited about, which sounds terrible, but is um, that I'm excited to work with, I think, and just see from reading the um, research and everything that they've done with it is, you know, they've done a lot of research, not just with like microdosing um, with like mushrooms like you're talking about, but also with MDMA, where they combine actually clients like taking like small doses of MDMA and then they do an EMDR session. So it's like my, oh, I like that you're combined with this. And they've seen that the results of that have been like staggering. Like they get past traumatic experiences, like almost three times faster. And so there's a lot of really good research that backs it up. And actually what's interesting is, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with a book called the body keeps the score. No. Okay. It's, um, it's like the, it's, um, like the number one best-selling book on trauma and it's written by, he's like this big wig influential doctor. He's amazing. His name's Bessel van der Kolk. And he is a huge advocate and proponent of, um, things like microdosing and, um, MDMA with, um, and integrating like trauma treatments while that's like being medically monitored and the research that he's put out like shows how healing it is even on like a neurobiology like to the brain how it changes the brain after a session or two so I'm like all for that stuff I think it works and it's great and I think um it frees up like our protective mechanisms within us where we want to like gurk be like oh, I don't got trauma. I'm not going there. And you can't really do that when you're like microdosing, right? Like it takes all of that kind of away and it goes right to what needs to be kind of dealt with or moved out of the way. And so it's kind of like a little backdoor approach to getting to the root of that. Yeah, I I think um, so MDMA was originally, I can't remember the exact things, but they were in the 60s, they were using that to PTSD and and originality. And then um once they kind of once they hit the streets and kind of became like this party drug that's when you know the government decided okay well we got to ban this right here right now mm-hmm. um there's also the same thing with um there's a chemical called dimethyltryptamine dmt yeah. um and there's an amazing book that's written by dr rick strassman that does he's done hundreds and hundreds and this was all taking place in the 80s and the 90s i believe mm-hmm. where he's doing hundreds of research um, with patients and stuff like that, like injecting them with DMT and kind of working through their issues and stuff like that. And I've also done my own research on that. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and uh, some of the microdosing, even though you don't have trauma, I'm glad that you're trying it out. 
so oh, that's no, I'm, good. I'm, I'm, I do I'm, like that I'm teasing you about your trauma. Oh no, no, it's fine. Right. I, I, was, I mean, that's what that's what you know. That's what you do, right? Is you get to yeah. the, the root trauma, right? So, um, he reminds but, me so yeah, much I mean, of I've, Ronnie that way. They, you right. guys, just don't. It's funny because even I and everything that I've been through in my life personally, it was after Ronnie had passed away that my son Justin looks at me and he's like, "Mom." I just got through studying this stuff about, he was the one that talked, talked to me about mushrooms right after Ronnie passed away. And he said, um, he said, I wish that I could have talked to Ronnie about mushrooms. And I said, Ronnie already knew about mushrooms. I knew he was taking mushrooms like crazy and loved them, you know? And um, Justin said, well, it was, he was taking them. I'm like, yeah, but you know, Ronnie, he's like doing it on his own. He's not really like, and Ronnie did everything big. So he took too many, many times, <laughs> but um too much <laughs> so anyway to make a long story justin looked at me and he says well mom i'm all for it if it helped him with his with his ptsd and that was the first time anybody had ever said ronnie and ptsd and i looked at him and said what makes you think he had ptsd this is how naive i was and he said mom <laughs> you know like he had he'd been in prison twice you know he just went through all this stuff and i i had always always associated that with the military a military type thing always i never even thought about men that had gone to prison or gang banging and the and seeing people being murdered and that kind of thing and i thought to my and he even looked at me he says mom you probably have ptsd and i was like son and he sat me down and talked to and i i have to really be honest with you it was so infuriating to me that i didn't even put because my whole way of dealing with Ronnie would have been totally different. Like I just didn't even, I was so naive and so dumb and then went into this full-blown research on, well, what went on in Ronnie's life? And, and I had to figure it all out. And I think I have, but wow. Like, I think there's a lot of moms. So talking to the soccer moms that might be listening or whatever, if your kid's going through something and you don't quite have it figured out, I would start thinking about that because I think there's some, there's always kids that are going down a bat, a dark path without any clue why, or they weren't that way once, or your family life's not like that or whatever it is. There's always something. I just have done too much since then looking at friends, families that have talked to me and things. And there's always, always a story of trauma always. Yep. And, and it's not necessarily anything to do with military or gang banging, or it could be a, some kind of abuse at somebody, it could be bullying, it could be a million different things. And it's real, it's real. And looking back on my life, I had to really sit back and I was more like jerk. Maybe it's the Irish thing, I don't know, but I went through some really horrible things as a kid. And I had, I've always called it and do it in my book too. Um, I have had, deep deep pockets that I just shoved and shoved and kept shoving and kept shoving and just I was the good person that didn't have these problems and I just kept shoving them and Ronnie died and those pockets just went phew you know everything came out and I probably did have PTSD I probably did so for those listening that thought like me don't think like that because this world is full of a lot of secrets and secrets are usually within kids and adolescents that out of fear or embarrassment, shame, all kinds of things that cause those things to cause a lot of years of damage. So, and, you know, just kind of touched on the, the statement you said about Ronnie with mushrooms, like um, he was actually the one that kind of, because beforehand when I want to take them, they would be, it was more of like a party situation, you know, as a, yeah. you know, I was taking fun and stuff like that, but he kind of opened up the door of like the self-exploratory, you know, medicine. And, and he, I mean, not to say that, he, I mean, he would, you know, sometimes he'd party and we'd all party, you know, we'd take some mushrooms and, and have fun and stuff like that. But his main focus with that stuff was really like this finding, finding yourself and, and this whole and ritual. That. And, um, and he, He'd actually turn me on to the idea of and now every time if, if I do take mushrooms on a larger dose or anything other than microdosing, what I do is I'll sit there and I'll turn all the lights off and I'll blindfold myself 
and it forces you to kind of look inside and you, 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 you go through this incredible and amazing journey of finding, you know, underlying issues or, or trying to help yourself. You know, like there's been many times where I just, I didn't feel how to put it. I didn't feel like not adequate, but my, with my art and what I went with it and stuff like that, I just didn't feel like I was doing enough. And that stuff really like propelled me to become more, um, more focused and driven on getting my art out there and progressing and doing stuff like that. And there's just been so many times where I've, I can attribute to just taking mushrooms on this, this inner journey of, of helping me get over certain things and stuff like that. I do know that in the last few years that Ronnie was alive. It, in fact, after he died, Volar called me jerk and wanted to sit down with me and talk to me about him and Volar were literally doing data in a notebook. Volar had it of some studying that they were trying to figure out, you know, what right. on their own with their own buddies yeah. and their own issues. And um, it shocked me. Like, I, I just really the judgmental mommy that I was, I was just always thought that, what is he doing mushrooms for, you know? And like Ronnie and, and Volar even said this, he's like, well, you know, Ronnie, he didn't, he wouldn't stay on the track sometimes. And he just, he'd do things bigger than usual. And so anyway, I didn't mean to get into that, but it's an interesting subject. And I, and I um, have recently opened my mind to it and talked to a lot of people about it. And it's been suggested that I try it for, some issues that I have and I I still have a little bit of fear but I'm going to do some research and and look into it but I um had a thought too on this EMDR can you give us kind of a um example of how it kind of works I mean you talked about eye movement and that kind of thing but how does it kind of work like what does it do so um the way that our brain stores trauma like trauma is stored differently than our long and short-term memories and so it kind of has like its own little like memory storage in our within our brain so when we go through something trauma traumatizing it gets stored in this little um kind of survival chamber in our brain and so anytime something comes up like a smell um a taste um a sound that resembles the trauma, um, our brain tells us based on this past experience that we've had that we're not safe. And so it can shut, it shuts our whole system down. Well, um, in order for things like talk therapy to be able to work, we have to have all the different parts of our brain engaged. But when, if we're in a trauma response or we get triggered with trauma, we're only in this fight, flight or freeze portion of our brain. So the logical part of our brain is actually shut off. So what they found through a lot of research and um, studies, and initially when the research started in the 80s um, of the developer of EMDR, Francine Shapiro, she was looking at how what happens to the brain during sleep, particularly with the REM cycle. And we know with the REM cycle, the eyes move back and forth. But ultimately, what's that? what it's doing is it's um, engaging both the right and left hemisphere of the brain. And it's getting the brain to be online and allowing the brain to process through the day's events and keep what's useful and get rid of what's not. Um, but what happens is when we go through a traumatizing experience, whatever it is, um, if that's not sorted out, the brain stores it as kind of this like emergency store and it interprets it as if we experience any of the sensations related to this experience, so it doesn't have to be the same event. It can just be one of the senses related to it, like a sound. Our brain interprets that as imminent danger or death. It could be the outcome. And so what EMDR does is it gets in, it's able to get into the trauma memory stores and it's able to bring those up and then allow the brain to naturally process through them while seeing that nothing dangerous is occurring. And so then those memories get to be um, moved from this trauma store to like our long-term or like maybe even a short-term memory. And then they're no longer causing disruptions for people on a day-to-day life. And if you look at brain scans, you can actually see the activity in a brain. Um, you can even Google this. Like if you look at a brain scan prior to EMDR versus after an EMDR session, 
and you will see just the like the way that the brain is activated and the way that the nervous system is working it changes like tenfold just in one session it's amazing wow yes Sorry, I know that's a lot of like. No, it's exciting. <laughs> like, I can I babble. I'm like, no, so I love that because okay. I saw the excitement in your face too. And so yeah. it, I am amazed at science and amazed at what, what I'd never say no to anything anymore. Like you really have to not look at things in a judgmental way in terms of, you know, eye movement. Like that does sound really hokey, but in this yeah. world today, you just can't, you've got to open your mind to these things because we've been in, I don't even know how many centuries we've been in the same modality of, of methodologies. I mean, of medicine that, that has done nothing but make pharmaceutical companies really wealthy. And we have now, if you watch TV, at any given time or listen to the radio or podcasts or all the pharmaceutical drugs that are out there for everything. And it's just scary that we could accept that a doctor can tell you that this, this medicine and all these side effects is okay to take into you, but something else, a little more natural or a little different or a little treatment that's different isn't because it just seems hokey you know it just it blows me away that we were talking about cancer earlier and if anybody knew the poison that that is that they you put it's poison it's like you you can't even be in the room with the same person that's doing this in some cases but it's but to accept that maybe they want to use marijuana instead of that or marijuana that just cracks me up but I was one of those people I was, we were, we're like little sheep walking around, not opening up our minds to letting our own minds and our own research and our own, um, I call it the spirit within me, tell me whether it's right or wrong, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about, you know, Joe Smith over here. If it didn't work for him, that's okay. But it, for me, it works great, you know? And so that's where I'm at with it. I've gotten really old and don't have a lot of years left to do that, but I, but I, proud that I got there and I um, can thank Ronnie for that too. So thank you, Megan. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, I guess my next question would be, I'd seen your bio that you've done some work in India. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little about what you guys uh-huh. did over there? I guess. Um, yeah. Um, this was pre COVID when it was awesome. Right, right. we could travel right with these yeah. um, but I actually went and spoke at an addiction medicine summit there um, and one of the things like within addiction that I have specialized in is the stigmas specifically with men related to trauma and addiction and so I presented on that there um, at this international conference and so that was pretty cool I have a couple other ones coming up in Italy and Romania um, in the next six months. So, wow, you've really gotten your word out there. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, do you see a big difference in patients according to like geographically, like for instance, like in India, I mean, I'm sure that their, their traumas and PTSD and, and and drug addictions are going to be completely 180 from what we're so used to over here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's definitely cultural differences. I'll speak to that. But one thing that I think we're maybe um, a little bit naive to, I guess, is that one thing I found really fascinating when we were there is that the similarities, actually. Um, I think that we're kind of ahead of the game in some ways being over here because we're more educated than some other places in the world. But, um, you know, one thing that I've seen, and if you look at research and data from this, that it really stands out to me is that the leading cause of death right now um, in the US, like the third, I'm going to talk about men for a minute, just to kind of put this on like an understandable scope of the point I'm trying to get to the third leading cause for death of death with men in the US is suicide. And the fifth leading cause of death worldwide for men is suicide. So that tells me that there's a lot of similarities. Well, if you break down those statistics more and you look at substance abuse rates 
or substances that were in their system at the time of death, it's pretty similar um, from in a US standpoint to a, like a worldwide standpoint. And so I think substance abuse is something that exists like worldwide. There's different things that are more acceptable in cultures or whatever. Um, but I would say that when I was in India, it was interesting because there was a lot of naivety around um, like drinking and seeing drinking as being something that was a problem because um, it was more acceptable there. It was like common practice. But if you were doing anything else, you were like the scum of the earth. And especially if you were a female that had any kind of substance abuse issue, especially if you even drink too much, like that was like just not even tolerated. Um, you would be like kicked out of homes, not, you know, not, you were like just shunned from the community. And so it was really interesting to see those things. But I think, you know, worldwide though, there's still, I think addiction affects everyone. And I've seen that um, from the places we've gone, it, it just shows up different. All right. Okay. Um, so you had mentioned that you're going to be going to Italy and Romania pretty coming up pretty soon. What are you, what are you working on currently? So yeah, I'll be going there um, to do some trainings on EMDR um, for um, the one in Italy in particular, I'm going to train for them several times. It's their Institute of Psychology over there. And then um, Romania, I'm doing some things with a training institute for them as well on EMDR. And then I've just got a bunch of trainings coming up. Um, another book that I'm working on related to EMDR as well um, that I'll hopefully get out in the next year if I have time. And then we've got a intensive trauma retreat that we're doing um, in May of this year in San Diego for people who wanna come and like work on their trauma and you know, whatever. whatever I'm a little bit interested in that one. Yeah. Is that the one Bob Goff is? Yes, yes, we have Bob Goff is, um, it's actually at his retreat center um, that he has and he's speaking for us and I love him. I'm a huge fan of him. Not everyone knows who he is, but he's an amazing He's awesome guy. And so I'm really looking forward to that, but that's pretty much it. Um, just trying to get- How do we find out information on those things? On my website, thementalsurvivalist.com, there's some resources for that. Um, there's also some resources for some health self-help courses that I'll have coming out um, in the next few months as well. One specific to addiction, and then there's another one that will be just specific to trauma. So you can find all that information on my website. Awesome, and you said thementalsurvivalist.com? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Um, Sonia, you have any any more questions? I was just gonna ask you if you would if you had the opportunity, like right now, to say anything to anybody out there that's suffering from um, PTSD, addiction, alcoholism, all the things that you deal with. What would you like to say to them? What would you say to them? No, this is what I would say for any of you that are listening that are in a bad spot that are struggling and feel like the battle will never end and like there's no hope left for you. There is always life left. And I don't know what you've been told about who you are, but you're worth so much more than you know or realize. And I'm sorry that you haven't been told what your worth and value is. Find the people that believe in you that can help you get out of wherever you're at and know that change is possible. And it's always there. There's never a point where you've gone too far that there's always hope and there's always change and always life left. That's beautiful. beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. So for people that want to look into this kind of treatment and um, even if it's, you know, if they're completely out of your area and just want to look into this in general, what would their kind of plan of attack be? Would it, would it just be, I mean, because I'm sure doctors are not going to, if he goes to a PCP or something, the doctor's not going to suggest doing this first thing. Um, so how would someone go about researching and finding a physician in their area that can, that can help them with this treatment? You no, know, you can even just start with Googling EMDR. Um, another big one that will show you um, EMDR clinicians and therapists in your region. 
is it's called Imdria. So it's emdria.org. They have a find a therapist um, registry on there by state, and it will even show like if they just specialize in trauma or addiction. Um, so I recommend starting there. And that's like the largest group of EMDR um, clinicians that there is right now um, throughout the US. And so that would be a good place to start. Is it generally um, covered by insurance? Yes, it is. Yep. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it is 100%. Awesome. Well, I, I definitely appreciate everything. You've, you've shed a lot of light on a lot of things during this, this episode. And uh, I, we definitely appreciate you coming on here. I think it's been um, quite an experience for both of us, just learning about you know this, this treatment and everything. And you're obviously super amazing and, and fun to talk to. And so we definitely look forward to maybe having a conversation again and seeing where you're at in maybe six months or something when you're back from your- Yeah, I'd love to trips. follow up with you guys again. I also though, at the next one, I wanna hear about Sonia microdosing with you. So yeah. <laughs> we will have a little party. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just, it's just newly kind of been introduced to me. By my integrated med yeah. No, don't. It's fine. I, it's not a big deal. I just, um, I probably am a little bit, like I said, like jerk and Ronnie where I've, I've hidden things so many years that now I think because I've written a book and I've talked about all of it that I'm okay, but obviously I'm not sometimes. So that's okay. It's okay to not be okay sometimes, right? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Well, with that being said, um, we definitely, we thank you for coming on. Uh, Sonia, you have anything you want to say or? No, I just, I just, um, wanted to say that um i really appreciate this is one of my favorite episodes we've done and i appreciate it because we um jerk and i just have really talked a lot in the past about what we can do to help and this is part of my you know trying to figure that out and if there's any you know if you can just keep me in the back me and jerk or um in the back of your mind as to we just haven't figured out that organization or that group or or what we want to do, but we both know that we want to do something for the future. So if you can think of something, um, I'm, I'm open. I've, I've done um, nonprofit work as a executive director of a nonprofit organization. So I get that kind of work and I am, this is where I want to put my, the rest of my life in helping. So you guys should talk to Bridget about her Shiro's program and you yeah. in particular jerk, like, cause I know they're getting ready to start doing some stuff um with men they asked her to come up with a men's program for men in prison um i i could see you guys doing that but i will and i hope i could maybe refer a couple people that i would think would be good connections for you guys i don't know if that would be oh yeah okay as well in terms of other podcast shows yeah, yeah. people that could be good connections i love what you guys are trying to do and the way that you've partnered together this is what i want to see like happen all over the place and so, yeah I think it's so cool and I really admire it a lot that you guys are taking this on together and having real conversations about this thank you I think that I think that on my end of it Dirk and I've talked about this a lot that there, there's probably more education needed in my end of the area you know mm -hmm. um, with moms that just don't understand. And so I'm really trying hard to get that to people listen to my podcast, to yeah. our podcast, because it's, it's, it's eye opening. And it's, it, I, I don't want anybody else to have to lose a child to get it. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, well, it's not just education on your part. There's always an education need on both parts too, because we yeah. don't, as an addict, we don't realize what we're doing to the people we love and care about until it's too late you yeah. know and or until you get you know until it's it's happening to you you know right. um right. and and i think that's one of the biggest issues with you know drug addicts or the fact that you know sometimes the pain is just so much where they don't care how everyone else feels they just want right. to stop what 
fun with them. And, um, you know, I think just both parts, you know, there's always education you know, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. I really appreciate you, Megan, a lot. And I'm going to look into um, the thing in San Diego. Should, I would love that. Yeah. I would love to go and just see what you guys are doing. And mm-hmm. I would love that. Isn't too. she speaking there too? Yeah, she's going to come in and do something um, for us a few hours, one of the nights. So I'm excited for that. That's cool. Okay, good. Yeah, and I'll link you guys up with a couple other people that would be good for you guys to have or even just like network with a little bit. That sounds great. Thank you so much for the help. And if you send me a link, I'll put a link on all my stuff so that people can find your podcast too. Okay, we'll we'll get it edited and, um, and get it sent out. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. It was nice to meet you both. Did you not get to say something like, was there something that you um, missed or I didn't even ask you? I usually ask that too. And I forgot. Okay. Okay. You're good. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Have a good night. Bye. everybody that wraps this episode up of when worlds collide we want to say thank you to every single one of you guys we appreciate all of you if you have any topics that you feel that would be a good addition to our show reach out to us on instagram at when worlds collide dot podcast tell us how we're doing like comment share subscribe all that stuff peace out